everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results. And they're all aligned to our nine principles framework. Let's jump right into today's episode. I'm pleased to introduce you to our guest, Matt Hillman. Matt is the superintendent of Northfield Public Schools in Northfield, Minnesota. He has served in his role for nearly six years. Prior to this role, he served in the district as director of administrative services. And prior to that, he was the director of human resources and technology. Before serving the Northville Public Schools District, Matt worked for six years for Belle Plaine Public Schools. His roles there included elementary principal, dean of students, and technology coordinator. He has worked in education for nearly 27 years. Earlier this year, Matt was awarded the 2022 Human Rights Award from the Northfield Human Rights Commission. This was in recognition of his work to improve support for immigrant families and for the dedication he demonstrated to listen to the Hispanic community in Northfield. Matt was also recently selected as the president of the Minnesota Superintendents Association. His district has partnered with Studer Education since 2018, so it's my great pleasure to bring Matt to our show today. Thanks for having me, Janet. It's always great to be with you. Sounds good. So let's just kick it off. Matt, if you would, tell us a little bit about your background and what drew you to the field of education. Sure. So I'm Matt Hillman, and I'm the superintendent of schools in Northfield, Minnesota. We're a school district of about 4,000 students, just under 4,000 students, and we're located uh, 40 miles due south of the Twin Cities uh, in Minnesota. Um, I grew up in upstate New York, and I uh, went to college in New York City, uh, St. John's in Queens, New York. And uh, I got a job when I was a sophomore in college. I was a journalism major, and I got a job working for the Bronx YMCA. And it was in an after-school program in a diverse neighborhood in the Bronx. And uh, after just a month or so working there, I knew that I had to change my major. um, And I went and changed my major to education. Um, I fell in love working with kids and and the positive difference that you can make in people's lives when uh, you are looking to help them be their best selves. And uh, so I uh, finished my degree in history with a minor in secondary education and student taught in the New York City public schools. I, when I graduated, my mom is originally from Minnesota and she's the oldest of eight. She's the only one who ever left. And so I moved to Minnesota and uh, started doing some substitute teaching and uh, I could turn a computer on. So I became a computer teacher in the mid 1990s. I made a big mistake and I fixed somebody's printer. So that made me the technology coordinator. And uh, from then on, I've had a number of different teaching and administrative roles. So I've I've been a a classroom teacher. I've been uh, a technology coordinator. I've been a principal, a curriculum director, central office administrator, uh, and human resources and overseeing uh, all the back office functions. So I've I've taught or administrated everything uh, K-12, except for I've never taught or administrated a building uh, for third graders, but I that includes early childhood. So I've had a, a rich and a career of a lot of uh, a variety of experiences that I think really is very helpful as a superintendent because I can really empathize with a lot of folks in the district. And the reason that I do what I do today is the same thing of why I started way back when, when I made my change to my major to education, which is 
I like doing good things for kids and, and seeing where they can go and, and what they can do to change their little corner of the world. Uh, it's such a great story, Matt. It's so valuable. The types of experiences that you've had. I have a, I work with uh, community college chancellor, uh, Vincent June, and he constantly talks about, he's done so many different jobs, right? You know, so many different jobs that now that he's president of the community college, you know, that he feels, feels like that that's been a big advantage for him because he can see things from multiple lens. And, you know, based on what I know of you and, and the great leadership that you provide, I think that, that, that you probably feel the same way that you can see it from the lens of multiple viewpoints. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so helpful to be able to say, yes, I've, I've done this kind of work before. So I know what you're going through. And you of course can't know exactly what every person is going through, but the fact that you've had some similar experience, I think, I think it's, it's helpful and problem solving. I think it brings leaders credibility. Uh, and I think it also gives us better decision-making um, back, back. It gives us better background for more informed decisions. You know, and I, as I think about your story, and as I ask you the next question, I can certainly understand why you would receive this award. So it's the, you received the 2022 Human Rights Award. So uh, congratulations for that, first of all, and would love to hear more about the efforts you made to support the Hispanic community in Northville and, you know, what led to this award and the actions that you took in your community. Yeah, it was a really a privilege to um, be honored with the city of Northfield's uh, Human Rights Award. And uh, I think as many people, you know, think about it, it's one of those, well, do I really deserve this? And um, it's very meaningful to me uh, because a group of Hispanic parents nominated me for the award. Oh. And I think that I'm just the latest, um, I've just taken a handoff and, and just really trying to support a lot of people in our community who are um, really focused on making sure that our Hispanic community here in Northfield is supported. And so um, when we think about the history of our city, uh, when we go back about 15 or so years in the early 2000s, um, Northfield Hispanic students graduated at a rate of 36%. And the community had come together and they just said, this is unacceptable. We cannot, we can't do this. We need to help our Hispanic friends and neighbors make sure that they are able to graduate from high school and not just graduate from high school, but be able to have a plan for after high school. And so uh, the TORCH program, it's called Tackling Obstacles and Raising College Hopes, was formed well before I came to Northfield. And the work that was done to make sure that students were supported academically, socially, in a social emotional way, that families were supported, that they saw themselves having a positive future narrative through summer experiences, college visits, all of those things, mentoring, all of those things have come together. And in 2021, 97% of our Northfield High School uh, Latinx students graduated in four years. And so it's a community story. And uh, when I think about there's a number of people within our community, Beth Berry is the person who started, was really instrumental in starting the TORCH program and um, a, a mentor of mine. And, and um, we're very sad to have lost him in, in the last year, Father Dennis Dempsey, uh, the pastor of our local Catholic church was a great champion for our Hispanic community and a previous award winner. And uh, Father Denny was unfortunately killed this past year in a bicycle accident. And he I, he resonates with me every day in thinking how we make sure that we serve everyone in our community and make sure that everyone feels included, that their voice is heard, and that it matters. And it doesn't mean that we're able to make every decision that satisfies everyone, but making sure that we take the time and the effort 
to support and lift up those who need to make sure that they're included. And so people who have traditionally been marginalized in our society and our Hispanic community is such a rich and wonderful group um, within our community that um, it's been a pleasure to have an opportunity to, to work with our families. And one of the things that we've made sure to do was to have a regular meeting uh, with our Hispanic parents. We have a Hispanic Parent Advisory Council. Um, we started, it's really, it's, its roots are, are actually in uh, Father Denny having me come to uh, Mass, uh, the Spanish-speaking Mass, and um, be there after the Mass for questions and answers with parents. And then through the pandemic, we moved it to Zoom. And uh, we, we had offered a number of different opportunities for Hispanic and Spanish-speaking parents to come uh, to directly share their feedback. But when we were doing it in person, we just we weren't able to get um, a, a significant number of people to attend. And so during the pandemic, one of the things that we learned is uh, by doing Zoom, we would go from having four or six people um, attend a Hispanic parent meeting to where we'd have 20. And wow. uh, I, I think it's another thing about implicit bias. You know, I, th- I think it's another piece for us to check our implicit bias because there were a number of people who would question, you know, whether our Hispanic community had access to technology or the internet. Um, and very clearly they do. And so I think that's just another piece for us as leaders to check, make sure that we know what we're talking about. The beauty of using Zoom is that our Hispanic parents are able to be at home it's really fun when we do these meetings. You see people cooking dinner and they're rocking kids, uh, to, you know, getting them ready for bed. And, and uh, it's just such a wonderful experience. And uh, we have the meetings at least three times a year. Uh, they are in Spanish. And so I'm the only English speaker and I am translated, which um, anyone who's ever been translated knows that, you know, how humbling of an experience that is. And Absolutely. to really have that empathy for people that to know that if I'm uh, a non-English speaker in an English-speaking environment, it gives you just a, a smidgen uh, of some understanding uh, of what people do every day. And so it's been so it's been such a wonderful opportunity to listen and learn and know. And we've heard what their concerns are. It's it's no different than things like results rollout, Janet, right? So mm-hmm. um, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of our meetings last year, there was real concern about nutrition and they're concerned about their children learning about nutrition and what kind of food is available at school because they were seeing their kids getting uh, a la carte items and they did they wanted to know about the more about the food service program so our next meeting we brought in our uh, child nutrition director to walk through all of the options and it was a wonderful experience for those families to learn more about um, the school nutrition program and for them to also be able to provide their feedback directly to the child nutrition director so I think that the key thing in this is that when we want to make sure, when we say we want to include people, we need to make sure that we include people. Yeah. Uh, So good, Matt. And I mean, that's right. It's not just, um, it's not just a compliance oriented. Yeah, we did X, Y, and Z, but it's, but what I hear you say, I mean, you really listened to them. You built the relationships with them. Um, You went to where they were in terms of how they could be more active in that process and um, really provided the care and concern for your families. So, you know, as you think about that, I know that's been a big, big priority of yours as a superintendent. Um, So what what um, what advice do you have for leaders as you're strengthening the relationships, I think, with families in general, but, you know, in particular, you know, families that come from diverse backgrounds and truly need the good support of our schools. 
I, I think there's a lot of different things. I, I think it, um, the first thing is about just recognizing that we're fellow human beings and that fellow human beings um, want to have a relationship and uh, they want to be included and they want to know that their children are cared for and are um, tended to when they are at school. And so I, I think the first part is showing up. Um, I think that we can make a lot of excuses or uh, we can find a lot of different ways to not show up. But I think showing up and, and being vulnerable that we might be in a circumstance where we don't uh, know what firm ground is. We, we are learning. Um, we're learning a culture. We're learning how to interact. We're learning what the best way to serve uh, families from different immigrant backgrounds are. And in, our, in Northfield, our primary uh, immigrant uh, background group is Hispanic. So you know, there's many districts that have lots of different uh, cultural backgrounds. But I think the first piece is don't be afraid to show up and, and be vulnerable and understand at the end of the day, we are all human beings breathing the same air, walking on the same earth, and we want our kids to be happy, right? We want them to yeah. be successful and happy. We all share that. And I think when you come at it from that perspective, I think that that starts you off well. Um, I think that there's a few things that we can do within our systems to try to help make it more accessible. And I will say we've made some progress in Northfield, but we're nowhere near where we want to be. Uh, one of the, the absolutes that we determined is anything that is sent from the superintendent's office does, is not sent unless it is translated into Spanish as well. And it's not just using Google Translate. We start with Google Translate, um, but we do have a local translator who understands the what are the specific Spanish needs for our local Spanish-speaking community, because just like all other languages, there's dialects, there's different meanings in different areas for different words. And so Google Translate continues to get better and better. But when we're writing things that are more long form, making sure that not only are we using the Google Translate application, but also a human who is looking at it and making sure that there's any adjustments to ensure that it's clear. So I think that that's an important part. Uh, another piece of feedback that we were able to activate was Anytime that we send something from the superintendent's office via email, our Spanish-speaking families also get a voicemail with the letter read um, by the same person who does the translation. Uh, oh, so wow. she, she yeah. reads it. And so it's a locally trusted person. It's not a computerized voice. Um, you know, she reads what we've written. And so people, if they are not, um, if they don't have uh, literacy skills in their native language, they are able to hear it. Um, when we post it to our website, we also add the Spanish translation and the link so that people can hear the, the voice recording as well. We invested in a great program this year called Talking Points, and this is a two-way texting program that does live translation. It does an automatic translation, so an English-speaking teacher can send a text message through the program to a Spanish-speaking parent. The teacher writes it in English. It shows up on the uh, Spanish-speaking parent's phone in Spanish. And if it doesn't make sense, you can tap a button and then it sends the translation to a live uh, interpreter who can make sure that it's correct that if for some reason the computer translation didn't work. That has opened up a ton of opportunities between our uh, wow. teachers and our parents. So that's another piece that has been really successful. And I think the other two pieces that I would say in terms of developing those relationships is create a system, Janet, not going to shock you, create a system where it's on the calendar um, when we're going to have meetings uh, with families and doing something where it's at their convenience, not ours. So that yeah. switch to Zoom 
is because it was convenient for our families. If it means that we go to a community center, we go to a community center. I, I, we've, we've done that in some cases as well, or in some cases it was at the end of a, a mass uh, at a local church. And so I think it's about trying to make sure that we are able to go to the places where people are and meet them um, on, on their grounds so that we can get them to a point where there's the relationship where they're now even more comfortable, you know, coming into the school scenario. And I'm really proud we just completed, um, it's, well, we, we had a really difficult time in terms of just like a lot of school districts across the country, we have to do some budget prioritization this spring and some pretty substantial budget prioritization. And as part of, we had over 70 people involved in, in that process um, over a course of a couple of months. And we were able to get a number of families, uh, Spanish speaking uh, parents to come and participate in that. Mm. And while it was conducted in English, we did have translators who were there to help them. And so we were able to have Spanish speaking families as part of that process. And we felt that that was really important. I know your families appreciate it so much, Matt. I mean, because it's they just become a part of the fabric of your system, of your school system. I mean, it's truly that that natural integration with very proactive work that you're doing with the school and the community and with your families. You know, I just wonder as we close today, I mean, there's no doubt you built, you build trusting relationships with your family. Your results show that, you know, I think two things, one, you know, what can leaders do? I mean, how do you, as you think about what can leaders do to build those relationships and, and, and know that you have that passion within your system, you know, how do you, how do, how do you cascade that to all of your leaders? Like, how do they, how do they come in with the same passion and the same focus? How do you build that consistency of leadership practices to do the things that you're talking about? Well, I think that there's a, a couple of items that, that I would share is that we, um, if people are familiar with the, the business uh, writer, Tom Peters, he has a concept of management by walking around and uh, we've changed that here in our district. We, we call it LBWA, leadership by walking around. And so we really encourage people to be, our leaders to be available um, to be visible, to be connected, you know, within their learning community, both for their staff, for their students, you know, and for their families, because a lot of it is just showing up, right? Being visible and connected. Mm -hmm. We also think that you got to be reliable, right? So, I mean, I think, how do you build trust? Uh, we build trust when we've had an agreement and I follow through on that agreement and I've done what I said I'm going to do. I think that that's an important part of building trust. And then that we we that cascading communication is so important, right? That that part around it being timely, um, it being honest and and transparent, um, and making sure that when we're wrong, we say we're wrong and uh, be honest about that. I think that showing that we are willing to say when we're wrong and we need when we need to do something better, I think goes a long way with people. So, I think when it comes to building trust and cascading that forward, it's encouraging making sure that you're leading outside of your office, right? That we're, we're greeting people at events. We're making sure that we're going to places where people are going to be, that we're available, uh, we're connected. We've got that commitment to that timely, honest, uh, tactful, and transparent communication. And that people look at us as that we are reliable. And I think when you look at those pieces, Janet, those are the things that I think can build trust. Yeah, I think you're, I mean, just spot on. And and they're, you know, that what you're talking about are very specific actions that you do. I mean, it, it's, you're purposeful about those, right, Matt? I mean, it's not something that you just say, hey, we want to build a trusting relationship, but you're very purposeful about the actions that you take. You have such a, 
it's such a sincere approach, Matt. You know, as you, this seems so easy. You know, as you're talking, I think about you as a leader and I'm like, this just seems to come so natural to you. It seems so easy. It seems so methodical. As you think about your growth as a leader, you know, what's what's helped you get to where you are today? Um, all of the mistakes we made. You know, I, I think there's a couple of pieces. I, I do think it comes back to being willing to be committed to continuous improvement. And I, I learned this, my dad was a cooperative extension agent for 30 years. So I grew up in 4-H. And for those of your listeners who are 4-Hers, uh, 4-H motto is to make the best better. And I didn't know it at the time, um, but I was raised on that. And it was always about what, you know, what did we do well? What would we do to make things better the next time? And, you know, what, as we started to really think more intentionally about continuous improvement in schools, I think I realized that that background that I've had since a kid, since I was a kid, you know, it was just, I, it was drilled into me um, with that 4-H motto of, of to make the best better. And so I, I think the key thing is if we really want to make a difference in the world, right? We show up, we do our best, we do something well, we say, that's outstanding. We, we did a good job. What's next? I, as I've talked with you about this before about my what's next philosophy. And mm-hmm. when we do something that didn't meet the mark, we're going to review it. We're going to take a look at it. Um, we're not going to dwell on it too long. And we're going to say, okay, what's next? What do we do better the next time? And so I do think that leaders need to remind ourselves that to that constant reflection is important. It's not rumination, right? There's a difference between rumination yes. and reflection. Rumination is not healthy. Reflection is healthy. And having that process of, of saying, okay, what the it's the mental plus delta, Janet, is what it is, right? Yeah. What did we do well? What would we change the next time? And how would we know that we've actually gotten better? And I think that we have all been having to do this so rapid reflection for so long over the last couple of years that I I personally need to take some time. And for me, it's writing. So I've been trying to work on the weekends of taking some time and writing about what went well in the past week, um, about my entire life, my personal components, my health components, my work and my leadership. Yeah. What did I do well? What do we want to see improved in the next week? And and just setting some time aside to intentionally reflect upon it. And I find it to be um, a really great place to reset my compass uh, to go in the direction that that we want to go here in Northfield. And it's not it's nothing close to perfect. I mean, we have so much more work to do, um, but we do feel that we just want to make tomorrow a little bit better than today. Such, I mean, so good, Matt. And just, I'd love that to reset our compass. And I think that's so important for our listeners right now. Um, I think we're at that place where there are many of us who are needing to reset our compass, do the deep reflection, you know, and really do what you said, that mental plus Delta and that self-reflection. Thank you for that, that advice. And um, just thank you for the contributions that you make to your district and your community, but mainly to the kids. It's deep felt passion and you're acting on that passion. So thank you very much. That's my pleasure. It's hard work, but it's certainly worth it. Absolutely. Thank you. We have a couple of in-person events coming up you should know about. For more information, head to studereducation.com slash events. There, you can also check out past webinars and roundtables we've recorded, where you can find leadership tips from Studer Education coaches. As always, I thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Performance. Please share this episode with a friend or a colleague. Also, your feedback is valuable to us, so please take a moment to follow and rate our podcast and Apple Podcasts. I look forward to connecting with you next time 
as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week.